0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I'm your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and today I'll be talking about growing up in the Long Island suburbs of the 60s and the 70s. What we had was a wonderland, a wonderland lost, all before the digital age, all before computers, all before the internet, all before incessantly staring at your phone and those gigantic flat screens. You had to occupy your time and your mind with something else. I grew up in West Hempstead, New York, in what was referred to as a bedroom community, right next to Garden City, New York. Notable people from West Hempstead Don McPherson, former National Football League quarterback, he went to West Hempstead High School. Mark Mendoza, bassist of Twisted Sister, was born and raised in West Hempstead. Walt Whitman, American poet, essayist, and journalist, was the headmaster of the West Hempstead-based District 17 schoolhouse. Orville Wright, inventor of powered flight, lived in West Hempstead in the early 1930s. But that's kind of the statistical stuff our landmarks, the personal other stuff, was the fabric of my young life, a patchwork of places, things, and images that evoked innocence, joy, terror, hijinks, adventures, and absolute wonder. We had the Good Humor Man, an ice cream truck that drove around our neighborhood. Eddie Murphy told it best, and we did have it and loved them. The gents who drove the Good Humor trucks were awesome, and it was like a cocktail hour for the kids on your block. We all got to see each other, chat, and enjoy ice cream. Plus, we had Aurora, Aurora Plastics. It was headquartered in West Hempstead and a symbol of the 60s plastics right out of the graduate. Skittle Bowl, Skittle Pool, and all of the monster models, the race cars, the slot cars, the ships, the planes. And we dumpster dived. It was like a weekly meetup for boys. You got to see some kids who weren't from your school district and some who were. We were all intrigued and obsessed with stealing the rejects that were tossed into the dumpster. We got loads and loads of them. We would assemble them, fill them with gasoline and/or firecrackers, and blow them up. Of course we did. What did anyone expect a bunch of pre-adolescent boys to do? It was the coolest thing in the world. We actually had grumpy old crank security guards yelling, "Hey, you kids, get out of there!" By the way. Everybody knew one kid whose older brother was incredibly good at assembling those models. The ships, the airplanes, the cars, the monsters. It was incredible to see the bedroom displays of these slightly older, more disciplined, focused, mature boys. And of course, their parents were a combination of relieved and proud to have a kid who did this instead of getting up to no good like the rest of us little clots. The younger brother, not so much, but he knew where his brother kept the glue. And that kid sniffed the glue, and it kind of made sense when you realized that he did, because that kid was strange. Aurora Raceway, Aurora had a slot car racetrack right down the end of our block on Hempstead Turnpike. You could go there, rent some track, race your car, crash it because you were too young to control the speed, and your little car would fly off the track and smash against the wall, while the older kids. Were more adept and used bigger cars on the bigger scale tracks, and you just stood there in awe and watched because it was so boss, man. It was like nothing else. All gone. We had novelty shops. We had Nerdo Supreme rock shops, and on weekends, filled with the Poindexter's, all lacking in social skills, who brusquely dismissed any somewhat green, curious boys or girls while they were preoccupied by polishing stones and splitting open geodes to inspect them for mineral content. Well, hey it kept them busy. We had magic stores filled with eager, friendly, amateur magicians just hanging around waiting to try their latest tricks out on young customers who would walk in the door. It was like living inside Pee Wee's Big Adventure. All gone. We had a Woolworths with the classic luncheonette counter and the balloons to pop and determine how much you paid for your ice cream sundae. All gone. And we had a place called Gardener's Village, a gardening center with a large pet shop and a parrot named Pepper that most kids knew and talked to all the time. And they had live reindeer for the entire Christmas season out in the back. Live reindeer, all gone. We had the Island Garden, the original home of the New York Nets, and we would sneak in the unguarded doors in the back and see the Clyde B.D. Cole Brothers Circus or a boat show or whatever we could sneak into. Last I heard, it was dismantled and reassembled in Florida to be used as an arena for roller derby. All gone. We also had the Garden City Dump, a large plot of land on a hill with a dump, orchards for municipal tree and shrubbery plantings, the municipal garage for garbage trucks and the like. All next to the disused incinerator with the tall brick chimney and the huge sooty windows, and it was swarmed with flocks of birds, pigeons and starlings and other species right out of a storybook or a Pink Floyd album cover or a Tim Burton movie like Edward Scissorhands. It stood there looming, looking spooky and decrepit, very intimidating. It was not hard to imagine something monstrous happening there at all. You could just picture lightning hitting the smokestack and a mad scientist performing a dangerous, cruel experiment. Sure, why not? It filled our heads. If we were lucky, when we were tramping around the whole place, some spoiled kid with a minibike would ride by and give you a ride as they went up and down the hills around the dump. And next to that was the Cherry Valley Fields for Little League, and of course, baseball dugouts. On the other end of my block, on the opposite end of Mayfair Avenue from Aurora Raceway, we had, and I cite from the website, West Hempstead now and then, Otto's Woods. Those who are attuned to local history are familiar with the fact that West Hempstead's oldest and most valued relic can be found at Old Bethpage Village Restoration. The Bedell House was a modest wood frame house built in the 18th century in colonial style and was originally located on the north side of Hempstead Turnpike, just west of Mayfair Avenue. By 1918, It had fallen into disrepair and was rescued by new owners, Carl and Lena Otto, who moved the house north toward the Garden City border. Carl Otto, a master architect who designed many prominent buildings and bridges in the Northeast, put his knowledge and expertise to work by having the house transported north toward the Garden City border and restored to its former glory. Longtime residents referred to the property surrounding the house as Otto's Woods. Yes. In 1982, Carl's widow Lena, who was 100 years old by then, donated the home to the Nassau County Parks Department, who then transported the structure to Old Bethpage, where for the past 30 years, it has awaited a restoration that never happened. It had since fallen into disrepair and had to be demolished. It was discovered that the homestead that it came from, uh, dated back to the last decade of the 18th century and traced back to a man named Hiram Bedell, who expanded the structure in 1835, but also quite possibly a different house than originally believed, and one that possibly dates back to around 1743. One small sliver of Otto's woods remained of the forest primeval, untouched by humans with wildlife, raccoons, owls, falcons, the rare eagle, frogs, woodchucks, chipmunks, squirrels, snakes, and in the middle of the woods, the magic garden, with the incredibly beautiful bow arch-reflecting pool and the pillar with the emerald green ball like something from Oz resting on top of it inside a perfectly manicured lawn and privy hedge that stood at least 10 foot tall and was actually a small maze, which led to the house and the spooky driveway filled with gravel guarded by two flagstone pillars with stone caps on top of them. Otto's woods all gone. The only thing there now is the house's and the ghosts of those who passed away and wander the grounds in search of lost loves and remaining family members dating back to the colonial era. <laughs> I'm sure there's been some sort of deep, lasting, irrevocable impact to my young psyche. And the interesting angle to so much of my experience is the Episcopalian connection, and I was raised a Roman Catholic, emphasis on was. And that brings me to the stuff of nightmares. St. Giles, in 1891, an Episcopalian nun named Sister Sarah founded a hospital for children in Brooklyn called St. Giles the Cripple. Can you imagine saying that now? During the summer, when people fled Brooklyn en masse for the country or for the beach, the St. Giles children had to endure stifling conditions in their stuffy quarters and tar baked play yards. As a result, the children circulated and signed a petition that was presented to the trustees asking for a summer home in the country where they could escape the city heat. In January 1903, a four-acre site was chosen in West Hempstead at the north end of Mayfair Avenue, my block, and the Taylor Estate, bordering Garden City. The hospital brought in cows and chickens and planted a garden, affording the young residents an enriched country experience during their stay in the Long Island facility. The campus eventually added a separate boys' dormitory, a schoolhouse, and a surgical pavilion. Eventually, the St. Giles Summer Annex was utilized year-round. During the 20s through the 50s, St. Giles played a major role in treating children suffering from polio. During that time, they claimed to have run the second largest outpatient clinic among all the children's orthopedic hospitals in America. By 1960, a polio vaccine had been discovered leading to a dramatic drop in the number of cases involving polio. The thing is, by the time I was growing up, it was dilapidated and always looked like it was in sepia tone, while the rest of the world was in living color right next to it. Just like a Stephen King novel. It scared the hell out of me and a bunch of other kids. When it was abandoned, we actually got inside the place and played with old disconnected x ray machines. I mean, can you believe it? Just like Millhouse's Fallout Boy on The Simpsons. The only thing there now is houses and the ghosts of all those who perished at St. Giles. Just like Poltergeist, I like to think. They had a chapel and they had pavilions, and in one of the pavilions, they had life size Punching Judy dolls to entertain the kids. When we got to them, they were just sitting there, all eerie and possessed by demons. There was a caretaker's shed, and the caretakers had a stash of old playboys. Playboys! Naked women! Wow! It was everything! We pranked people with those Punch and Judy dolls that we appropriated, and at night we hung them up in trees just outside of the streetlights' glare. And when that didn't cause enough of a ruckus, I took one of the dolls down from a tree, dressed it up in my old clothes, took some ketchup from the fridge, Ported all over the doll, wearing my clothes, laying down in the street at night, just out of the streetlight's glare. And of course, this was hysterically funny to us. We had flashlights and hidden Otto's woods, signaling to each other like the man from Uncle, waiting to see people freak out, which they did a few times. I was a little stinker. But this was my reaction to the perceived paranormal freakout hellhole I grew up across the street from. Oh, my God. Of course, as we get older, boys would realize that a place where nobody was looking was a great place to bring a knapsack with wine, weed, snacks, and a blanket to lay out on and have a cheap date. Hey, well, of course. And just at the end of the block past Otto's Woods and St. Giles, which were across the street from each other, was the Cherry Valley Golf Club, where we used to sneak on the golf course at night and wander through the fog that would waft in between the little valley and the fairways so you could walk through or even beneath it. Sure, why not? On one side of the Cherry Valley Golf Course was Adelphi University, very nice. And on the other side, to further the Episcopalian connection, the Episcopal Cathedral of the Incarnation. The Episcopal Cathedral of the Incarnation is an Episcopal Cathedral in Garden City, New York, and is the seat of the Episcopal Diocese of Long Island built to the memory of Alexander Turney Stewart, who turned out to be one of the original Gilded Age uh, department store magnets. The Cathedral of the Incarnation is the only cathedral in the United States funded by a single person, and the only one that is built in memory of a single individual. The cathedral is a product of Gothic revival architecture. Now, this, to me, strongly reminds me of the holiday classic film The Bishop's Wife with Loretta Young David Niven, Cary Grant, and Agnes Hamilton as the wealthy widow who wanted a cathedral built in memory of the husband she never really loved. But unlike the movie, this did get built, and it is magnificent. There was even a story I was told in a pub about a guy who, through some injury, suffered brain damage as a teen, which left him mentally impaired, and everyone who knew him felt it was a tragedy. The story was that he would ride a bicycle around and wave to people who felt sorry for him. And he occupied his time amusing himself on his bike. One day, as the story goes, he was riding his bicycle in the parking lot right outside of the cathedral on a sunny afternoon. And he was suddenly struck by lightning out of the clear blue sky. And when he got up, he was completely cured and resumed his life. I refused to believe this hogwash and was promptly introduced to this fellow who was standing next to my friend who had just told me the story. And then the entire pub full of locals who grew up with and knew him in unison, and I mean every last person, all turned, looked at me and said, it's true. Shut up. And I meekly demurred. Eek. Just to the north and west of the cathedral was St. Paul's School. St. Paul's was built by Cornelia Stewart, widow of Alexander Stewart, and dedicated in his honor. So you have A huge boy's school and a cathedral built in the honor of this woman's husband. The building is of high Victorian Gothic design. Spooky stuff. It took four years to complete construction of this massive E-shaped building. It was crowned with a slate roof and clock and bell tower. It opened in 1883 as a military school for boys owned by the Cathedral of the Incarnation and the Episcopal Diocese of Long Island. The building is still there, but it is closed, except for the ghosts of all the boys who perished there. There are so many spooky places I experienced growing up. I just like to think that they really do have that extra something, and that stuff inspires people's imaginations. But it's closed. And then, of course, the Garden City Hotel. The Garden City Hotel is right nearby, and it was built by Alexander Turney Stewart, the man the cathedral and the St. Paul School was built in memory of. And the current fourth incarnation was built in 1983 by the late Myron Elkin. It is famous for hosting many world leaders and celebrities, including John F. Kennedy, Margaret Thatcher, Hillary Clinton, George H.W. Bush, Prince Khalid of Saudi Arabia, Charles Lindbergh, and when I worked there, the Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd, The Beach Boys, Ringo Starr, The Grateful Dead, Neil Young, Elvis Costello, Albert Finney, and a whole lot more. I knew Mr. Nilkin. He was a very good and generous man to me. The place, as far as I am concerned, was a breeding ground for luminary culinary talent, and very many chefs went on to extraordinary careers. It was by far the best hotel with the best restaurants on Long Island. By a mile, just a great place. Back in West Hempstead, in terms of pop culture and convenience... In those days, there was one 7-Eleven, and it was held in contempt by many of the locals, seen as a magnet for no-goodness and troublemakers. You know, kids who wanted an older teen or layabout to buy them beer and porno and the like. Dimwits, loafers, punks, thugs, sluts, everything and everyone good people railed against, all in the parking lot at any given time. And they were. Very much like the characters depicted in the Eric Bogosian play, Suburbia in my humble opinion, a bullseye on Mr. Bogosian's part. There was one Burger King, and that was a locust for kids in my neighborhood. It was right outside the grounds of my middle school, which was also a location for the Matthew Broderick Reese Witherspoon film election. And it just so happens, Telly Savalas, who grew up nearby in Garden City, would on occasion drive by dressed exactly as Kojak and stop during recess and say hi to the kids. And we all loved him. He was great. There was one McDonald's in Hempstead, and it was a drive to get there and back, and it was a big deal to go to McDonald's. And if you sat in the front seat of the car with the McDonald's food, you got to steal a whole load of fries with your dad before you got home. And you sort of shuffled the contents around to even them out before anything came in the front door. And now there are houses and fast food franchises galore. Convenience stores and drive-thrus and nothing like what we had. Our elementary school had a bell that was rung every day like something out of a Hal Roach Gang short or a Frank Capra film. And it's so odd to me that these things don't exist anymore and they don't register on, on, on younger minds. Well, I prefer to look forward and not to get too hung up in the past. However, there was such a richness, a strange innocence that was so charming and haunting that when I and my friends reminisce, we are amazed at all the things that were within a pretty short bike ride, and they are now lost to the ages. Some of the landmarks are still there and some prosper, but with a different meaning, population, direction, and a complete loss of the sweet naive optimism that I like to think in at least a small part carried over from the 64, 65 world's fair generation and the whole Apollo moon thing. And it was a whole lot more wide open physically as well as culturally than today. There were no playdates and monitors or Life 360 or GPS or anything like that. We went into the woods by ourselves, no cameras, and nobody gave a damn. Again, this was not in the Midwest or some rural area. This was in a bedroom community suburb in western Nassau County, Long Island, in the 1960s and the 1970s, all within a bike ride. A lot of it gone, but not forgotten. These recollections motivate me to look forward. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out.